the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Danny Cannell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and join us in the chat. It is a Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. This is when we get a chance to do our final review of everything that was, the storylines, the threads, things that happened later at night or things that might have happened on Sunday. We will, before we get out of here, be sure to mention we had a coach firing. It was Jeff Scott. He is out uh, as USF's head coach. What does that really mean for the Bulls? What kind of job is that? We'll get into that as a piece of, uh, you know, larger conversations around the sport. We additionally are going to be taking a look at Clemson. We're going to be looking at Notre Dame. We're going to be looking at so much more across all of college football. But for a pun for the review, I wanted to begin with a conversation that you know we were starting to have. And I think that a lot of people around college football are starting to have because Alabama is at a, a very interesting place within the context of not just this season, but within the Nick Saban era. Because for the first time since 2010, Alabama has multiple losses before we even get to the Iron Bowl. They are 7-2 and two overall. They are 4-2 and two in conference play. And though they still sit at number 10 in the new updated college football rankings, they face like uh, a real, I don't want to say like motivation issue, but you know what is ahead for this team this season is a real debate. And got a pretty big matchup in Oxford. This thing could get worse, maybe. I don't know. There's also the larger picture because Bud Elliott mentioned on the reaction show, do you think that this is it for Nick Saban? And, you know, going to review some of the post-game press conferences, it's now we're going to start nitpicking. Now we're going to start really diving into this. So whether it is the individual season at hand, whether it is the larger picture, do, what do we think Alabama has left to play for right now? I mean, in the press conference, I'm glad you went there to the presser, Chip. Saban said, hey, I talked to the guys about playing for your, your individual stock, right? Without the expanded playoff, Alabama's season, because of its success, is essentially over now, right? You have the rivalry against Auburn, which, I mean, some of these kids will care. 
and some of them will not. Some of the coaches on staff will be thinking about their next job already by that time of year, and some will still be pretty locked in. But I think it, it says something that Saban talks about playing for your individual draft stock. He has not had to do this since, I think, 2010, right? Like, that was the last time they were out anywhere close to this early. And so I, I think it is fair to ask. So is the best argument for the expanded playoff that we can keep Alabama motivated in November when it has a bad season? <laughs> like, oh, no, what if Alabama misses the playoff? It's bad for the sport. No, I, um, I think what's interesting is, like, we've talked about it on Saturday night. We mentioned, we've mentioned it many times on the show, like the future of Alabama, Nick Saban, how much longer it's going to go. I'm wondering if... The real problem, like, I think there are warning signs. Like, if you look, too, like, at penalties we talked about a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. you look at how Alabama had been historically during the, you know, its best years on winning national titles. It was also one of the most disciplined teams in the country. Penalty-wise, it wasn't committing a lot per game. And, of course, SEC fans said it was because the refs were, you know, rooting for Alabama. But the last few years, we've seen a steady rise in how many penalties they're committing per game. I think they're over, like, eight or close to nine so far this season. It's just really bad. We talked about how on the two-point conversion in overtime, they almost had 12 guys on the field again coming off of a timeout because they had 12 guys on the field. But I think, honestly, the bigger problem Alabama's facing to me, and I wrote about it in the Monday after today, is the offensive coordinator. I I just think that offensively, this team is still very good, but it is not competing at the elite level that you need to win a national title because I even compared it to Georgia's numbers the last two years. We talk about Georgia as last year, particularly as an amazing elite defense and an offense that was good enough. Over the last two years, Georgia's offense has been better than Alabama's in a lot of key metrics. And I think that lines up with Bill O'Brien coming in to take over Steve Sarkeesian. So Bryce Young will be gone at the end of the season. A lot of guys will be gone at the end of the year. Transfer portal, we'll see how that works. But it's the biggest transfer that Saban can make, a new offensive coordinator. I think the dynasty's done at Alabama. And I felt that way after they lost to Tennessee. I felt kind of like it. And now I feel stronger about it. But I do want to make sure like people know like they're not going away, but the days of seeing them either automatically undefeated or one loss in the playoff every single year are done. And if you look at it, it's been something that's been right before our eyes for the last year and a half. Like the days of the dominance where even this year, a couple games when you're like, oh, they're going to have the bounce back game, whether it was after... um, you know, like the uh, the Arkansas game, then you have Texas A&M, one possession game. You have the Texas game, one point game. I'll give you a stat. I was looking for the stat. Chris Felica just put it out like 15 minutes before the show, so it was perfect timing. Alabama single-digit wins or losses versus SEC opponents. In the last 17 games, they've had 10. In the previous 54, they had 10. Like that was, And that run will never be matched ever again. Never be matched again. So I think so, a lot of it has to I think do a lot with Alabama struggling. But I also think what it has to do with is the rest of the field raising their level of play and the bar changing that they established and the advantage that Bama had for the past 15 years in the recruiting game is gone because the advantage that they had, and I'll use advantage that they had, is no longer there because other teams can spend and they can do whatever it takes to match the recruits and the level of play that's on the field. And I think I think Nick Saban realizes. It. I think that's why he's he was talking about parody, and everybody's like, "Huh? What are you talking about?" Like, remember how confusing that was? It sounded like, "Hey, how are you complaining about uh, parody?" 
I think he's realizing that it's happening, whether or not he likes it or not, which is one of the reasons I think for 12 teams. That's the one hesitation I have is that if we go to 12 teams, if Nick Saban is still there, they probably will get a spot in that playoff. But I don't think they rattle off the national championships the way they have. But will Nick Saban still be there? When it goes off the cliff for an Alabama head coach, national championship winning head coach, it happens fast. And off the cliff is like three losses in a season. This team already has two. And they are in a tricky spot. Listen, they are on the road. We're talking about an Alabama team on the road. And everything that we've said from the last two seasons has been a drop-off in performance when they go to these true road environments. Lane Kiffin and this Ole Miss team have been getting ready for this game, the biggest one of the season, for two weeks. I'm just using the history of uh, looking at Bear Bryant, looking at Gene Stallings, how fast you can go from winning national championships to all of a sudden that's that's the end of your run. And it's it's always been like, let Nick Saban drop off two nine and three seasons in a row and watch how fast even the Alabama fans who have been able to celebrate six national championships in 12 years, watch how fast they turn. You know, I, I look at this roster, Right, and and Danny and Tom are right. Was Bill O'Brien the worst of the four coordinators in that game? Yes, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, like I I know that that the whole like like some of the media complex is trying to hype him up uh, to get a coaching job elsewhere. And I mean, Nick Saban hasn't told me that he would like to rehome him, but I, the, the like they're wasting an incredible amount of talent on this team right now relative to what they usually do with it. I'm not saying other coaches would get a lot more out of this team, but I think they would get some more. And we can sit here and we can say, hey, they have two one-score losses on the road. One was a field goal loss. The other, I mean, literally one-point loss in overtime. And those are both fair criticisms. But I would also counter, they also have two one-score wins. And we may have been having this conversation in like before Halloween, guys, if Quinn Ewers had not gotten hurt in that opener against Texas. So this does look like a different quality Bama team to me and we have been waiting for it to click. And we've said this, I think we said this after Texas, right? Like, Bama did not look elite. However, teams do get better as the season goes on, or at least they are allowed to. But I look at this Bama roster and just going through the depth chart here, are these guys back? Like Tyler Steen, the, the transfer they had to take from Vanderbilt, left tackle. I, I don't think he's back, right? Dalcourt, he's listed as a senior. Is he back? That's their starting center. Starting right guard, Emilio Ikior, redshirt senior. So I assume... He's gone. Latu is a redshirt senior, right? At least listed on the depth chart here. Bryce Young, probably not back. Jameer Gibbs, probably not back. The receivers, probably back. Defensively, uh, DJ Dale, probably gone. He's a senior. Byron Young, listed as a senior. I imagine he's probably gone. Toto is a senior. There's no way he has another year yet. Like, I think that guy's played football since, like, 2015. Uh, Who else here? Will Anderson, probably not back. Uh, McKinstry definitely is a sophomore, so he, he'll be back. Uh, Jordan Battle is a senior, so he'll be gone. They lose a good number of their best players off this roster. So, like, if Nick Saban wants to get this thing back, he's going to need to have a lot of rapid talent development from guys on this roster who are not playing a whole lot of snaps right now. They're going to need to hit some home runs in the transfer portal, and they're probably going to need to find a new offensive coordinator. So, whether that means making a move with Bill with Bill O'Brien if nobody else will hire him away and, and take him out of your hands, no, I guess you got to do it. But this is a much bigger rebuild than normal. This is what I'm saying. Like, it's not crazy to think – I'm not saying Nick Saban won't do this and won't accomplish it or won't want to take it on, 
but it's not crazy to suggest he doesn't want to take on this magnitude of a rebuild. Like, well, it's also it's like, like you can't. You, oh, he's going to go to the transfer portal and find all the answers. Jermaine Burton right. hasn't been the answer. Like it's it is not all going to be the Jameson Williams type connection right away, and that's that is something that I think has been proven obvious here in 2022. Think, think about how many games, too. Most importantly, think how many games in the last year and a half that Bryce Young has bailed them out of situations where they probably should have lost. Last year's Iron Bowl, include, like that's probably the biggest example. This year's Texas game. I mean, you could go down a litany of games where Bryce Young covered up a lot of the problems that they have, which is a huge testament to Bryce Young and the talent that he has. And Bud's been all over that since day one. But what happens when he leaves? That's where I'm really curious because that that is a rare find. And I get that you can win with less at Bama, but are – with everything we've talked about, are we sure that's going to continue? Yeah, Danny, are your girls doing SAT prep yet? <laughs> yeah. All right. Bryce Young is to Bill, Bill O'Brien as Trevor Lawrence was to Tony Elliott. Yeah. And because look, let's look at the last two seasons. Like you compare what they were doing under Kiffin and Sarkeesian, what they've been doing to Bill O'Brien. If you look at the last two years, when Alabama's playing a team is clearly better than, they're fine. The offense works because they've just got more talent than the team that they're facing. But when it comes to those big games, like you mentioned, the Iron Bowl last year, when they're facing other good teams, Tennessee, Georgia, the best plays on Alabama's offense this year particularly are either short passes or runs with Jameer Gibbs and letting him make something happen, or Bryce Young scrambling, scramble drills, stuff that wasn't scripted in the play when things break down, making something happen. It's not a coincidence those are their best plays against good teams because when they run their actual offense against good teams, it's not working. All right, what else uh, What else you want to go for upon further review? Tom? I've got some thoughts on Notre Dame. I went back and rewatched that game. Let's do it. Uh, they're figuring out on the ground. I think that is the one key for them right now. They still can't pass to save their lives. Like, it's Michael Mayer or Puss. But if you look like, against Clemson, which is a good defense, I think we all agree, particularly against the run, they were able to run the ball very effectively. And if you just, I went back and I looked after, I watched it at their numbers from the entire season. Like, the first six games of the year, Notre Dame was averaging 4.3 yards per carry at a 46.2% success rate. In the last three games, which is UNLV, Syracuse, and Clemson, they're up to 4.8 yards per carry and 53.7% success rate. And against Clemson, it was 5.6 and 53 and a half. So they're figuring it out. The offensive line is playing better. And I think because of that, this team is looking a lot better than it did early in the year. Because when you go back and think about it, like they could not run the ball against Ohio State, which is why their strategy in that game just did not work. Because it's one thing to try to kill clock, but if you can't run the ball effectively, it's not going to matter. They couldn't run the ball against Stanford and lost. Hell, they couldn't really run the ball in their wins over Cal and BYU, which is why those games were bigger struggles than they probably should have been. But last month, last few weeks, they seem to be figuring it out. I think that's going to be good for them going down the stretch. And it could be something to keep an eye out against USC in what's probably going to be a pretty big game later this season. What about the Clemson side of things? Y'all think Clemson can get fixed? Is Clemson going to lose to Louisville? Is Clemson going to lose to South Carolina? Is Clemson going to lose to North Carolina? How 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 confident are you, given what you saw in South Bend, that Clemson's going to be able to like forget about the playoff side of this because it's clear they do not have any sort of like control here. They need things to fall apart all around them to be able to feel confident in the college football playoff future. But what about even getting to twelve and one? Are you concerned? based on the way that things went against the Fighting Irish. Yes, I'm concerned. It, it, uh, again, I said this after Syracuse. Dabo's loyalty is his biggest, like, his biggest asset, but it's also his biggest flaw. 
because I think he's so loyal that he's his he's not able to see what is right before his eyes, which is the offense has a major problem. And whether it's the coordinator calling the plays or it's the quarterback, you put those two together, and it's what we saw on display uh, in primetime against Notre Dame. He, and if you'll notice after the game, he was still like he did not want to criticize any one of his players for their play. He said, this is all on me. And he wouldn't criticize his coaches for the play calling. And that's because he doesn't want to tear anybody down, which I totally understand. I respect that. But at some point, he's got to realize he has a quarterback problem. And I, DJ is a, a – like he's got damage. There's some damage there that's been done over the course of the past year, year and a half where if he starts to struggle, he is really in a bind where you cannot play yourself out of it. I almost feel like everybody needs just a change of scenery, including DJ and Clemson. And I, it, I, I get Cade Klubnick came into the game and it wasn't pretty either where he threw the pick <laughs> as well. But it's hard to ask. If, and it, it sure feels like Dabo gave DJ all the reps with the ones. Like when he came out there in an entire bye week, when you could have had something else going and brewing, you chose to stick with DJ Uyunglele. I I think he's got a problem on his hands. And I don't think DJ is the answer. And I think he's got to really do a hard job of reflecting on the people calling the plays and the offense that they're running, which we can all see. I think Chip used the word clunky. I think it's the best word to describe that offense. It is clunky, and it's not, and it's and it's going to hold them back, which is why we're asking, are they going to win out? Because if they got a little bit more from the quarterback and a little bit more out of this offense, I don't think it'd be a question. They are not going to win out. They're not. They. I think the best lost, <clears throat> best possibility is losing in the ACC championship to North Carolina because if they get in a shootout, I don't know they can keep up. But if you just look, like if you look at the schedule, Louisville, Miami, South Carolina, there's none of those three teams, especially with the way they're playing, where you think, oh, that team's definitely beating Clemson. But if you just look at Clemson all season long, it's had four comfortable wins: Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech, and Boston College. What do those four teams all have in common? The bottom like thirty. They all suck. All right, but they won by six against Wake. They won by 10 against NC State. They won by six against FSU, six by Syracuse, and they got blown out by Notre Dame. Like when they're facing other competent teams, they don't pull away. They're stuck in a game with them every single week. And Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina, oh, maybe not Miami right now, but Louisville and South Carolina, they're going to be able to hang around. And then it's that situation, like you were just talking about, Danny, like DJ used confidence just. It went from being really high for the first few months of the season to now after that Syracuse game, just kind of seeming very unsure of himself and looking like he did last year. So if the confidence is shaken there and you have to turn to a freshman QB and you're kind of stuck in games where you're not really pulling away from anybody against other teams that have at least experienced quarterbacks, you're going to be you're going to get ripe for an upset at some point. And then if you do get to the ACC championship right now, I think there's a very decent shot North Carolina beats you. We, we talked about this a month ago. I, Dabo, I think, messed this up in the offseason. And it, I think some of their numbers kind of hit it for a little while because to me they were looking better. But this offensive staff has a glaring lack of experience on other college coaching staffs. Everybody comes from inside the Clemson system. But what happens if that Clemson offensive system sucks, right? When those guys go elsewhere, look at Jeff Scott at USF. Look at Tony Elliott's offense right now. At Virginia, what if, what if it was really just quarterback based and having freak receivers like Sammy Watkins and Nuke Hopkins there, and have having Trevor Lawrence, you know, and and those dudes, Deshaun Watson, and hell, even Taj Boyd, who was a good college quarterback. What, what if this system is not a very good offense? Like we saw draft guys talk about this for a while when they evaluated Trevor. I I think Dabo erred in not bringing in some new blood from outside that thing. I mean, if you're if you're Kate Klubnik, 
are, are you sticking around? Like, do you believe in this offense to develop you and get you to the NFL if you're not ready made? I, I don't know, man. Like, DJ's, can DJ stick around in this thing? I'm, I'm a little skeptical, and I'm very interested to see if Dabo will go outside the Clemson coaching tree and maybe bring in some fresh ideas. Because when everything is going great, cool. But when things are not going well, who inside that room has big-time college experience that can say, hey, when we were here, we did this. Or, hey, guys, I'm noticing this. This doesn't seem to be working. What can we do differently? Where will the answers come from for Clemson? Like On offense, I have real questions about that. For about four years, it seemed like the entire college football world revolved around Alabama and Clemson. And it is shocking at how quickly uh, that has changed. Both those teams taking losses at the same time. Both those fan bases so frustrated. Uh, I think that... I'm not ready to go full big picture yet, but I do think that specifically for that game and that loss, that's extremely Clemson fans have to be extremely disappointed in their head coach and their coaching staff because you had a full extra week and whether it is something with Cade or whether it is putting in wrinkles to be able to go up against this Notre Dame defense, the fact that that offense was so ineffective uh, against the fighting Irish is, um, a, a massive disappointment for a, a program that is, you know, thought of itself as being able to put points on the board against almost anybody. He never lost a must champ with must champ with South Carolina, but Notre Dame looks like a must champ team. And you just lost to that. Like that's unacceptable to lose to that Notre Dame team. Like they play good defense. They can run the ball some, but if you have any competence on offense and any ability to make halftime adjustments, you should be able to beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame cannot throw the football at all. And their defense is good, but it's not like top five in the country good. And they just, they've lost at home to a bad Marshall team and a horrendous Stanford team. They couldn't put away UNLV. Like, that's a bad loss. Notre Dame's not a good team. Yeah, but they're a better team right now than they were. Sure. They, they got yeah. to be better. They still can't throw. I mean, they're 100% game scripted. If they get down in the game, they're dead. But <laughs> they didn't. That's right. what's wild. Is yeah, that they they did, the that, that's what's wild is that. Clemson couldn't find a way to just win ugly because they have won ugly a lot, but it wasn't even close to being competitive. That's that was a rough look. Um, we mentioned Jeff Scott's name, so while we're here, let's go ahead and you know, take it number one. I've seen it be floated that Jeff Scott, I don't know, just go to Clemson. Like I floated out. here Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, just 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 go ahead and uh why don't you just show up and why don't you like at a minimum you could be what a special assistant. You could be there for scouting. You could be there for game planning. It would be some new ideas from a time when Clemson's offense was much more successful. And look, I, again, I, I am not ready to break down the X's and O's. My, my observation of clunky was definitely a layman's observation. Statistically, they have at times through this run had some of the best offenses in the country. They've been wildly productive. And I'm sure that a Clemson fan or Dabo himself would point to that. But that has not been recently, uh, as as we have noted here on the podcast. But Jeff Scott was a part of helping be the architect of offenses that, yes, with elite quarterback play, but were ranking near the top of the ACC in most categories. And yes, were the, among the most productive, you know, 10 to 15 more most productive in the entire country. But he is coming off a rough run at USF with the Bulls. Now that he is out, what is the South Florida Bulls program. Like, what What do you do if you are athletic director Michael Kelly? What are the expectations if you are a USF fan in the Tampa area who 
way back when, we always like to invoke that crazy 2007 season, found themselves all the way up in the top two of the BCS rankings, yet now they find themselves with just one win against an FBS opponent in the tenure of their last head coach, just four wins overall for Jeff Scott in that run. What, how does this program start to rebuild, and, and what are realistic expectations? I, I think it's a really interesting question, Chip. Like South South Florida is really not a great job in the old American Conference because you had schools like UCF and Houston and Cincinnati, which were much better. But now with the new American, which is very watered down, I think it's entirely reasonable to think that USF should be near the top of that league because they do have enough money to do that and they have the local resources. And yet you ask like, Okay, they have one win over an FBS team. I, I think Scott had some challenges there, as did many coaches who came in during the COVID year. Like recruiting was really tough. They had to go pretty transfer heavy. I thought they made a good hire this year in Travis Trickett, by the way, who still has the offense scoring points despite losing like both starting tackles and their starting quarterback, who they took from the transfer portal. But I think that USF fire Jeff Scott means it's ser- serious about winning, at least within the American. I think they were very salty. Uh, about UCF getting the Big 12 nod over them and uh, and like USF not getting it. They had the indoor done. One of their board of trustees guys is rallying money around this. They they plan to do the on-campus stadium. I'll believe that when I see it, but I do think that they – like you don't fire Jeff Scott after you gave him an extension if you're not serious. And I think USF is fairly serious here about spending more money and bringing in somebody. I, I It's not a bad job in the new American. Bill O'Brien for USF? Oh no, I, it, I think it. Oh God, like Saban would probably love that. I, I think a name to watch here who has had success at USF, knows the area, recruits the area well, would be Tom Allen at Indiana. Like Indiana keeps losing games, things aren't going well there. Uh, I don't know what his buyout is. I don't know if they're going to fire him. I don't know if he would just be willing to walk and sort of, as coaches say, restart the clock. But I think he could do well there. Uh, maybe a Tom Herman who has done well in a city school. Now, USF is trying to be more collegiate and less commuter. Mm-hmm. Over past years, they've become some of that, but it's still like you don't have the on-campus stadium, right? You, you have to deal with some of those same things that you dealt with at Houston. I could see that. Uh, I think you probably give Dion a call here. I don't know if Dion would take it. I think he wants more of a Power 5 job. I don't think he's going to get a job like Auburn, but I, I think you at least engage Dion to see. He is from, from Florida, you know, only about – you know, an hour and a half south in North Fort Myers. Uh, those would make some sense. One of the problems though, I think they're going to have is like you need to have guys who can score points to get fans to come to your stadium, which is not on campus right now. They play in the Buck Stadium, Raymond James. And I think there's a lot of candidates you would think of, hey, can they, they're hot offensive coordinator, like go Lesh at, at Tennessee or, you know, maybe Kendall Bryles at Arkansas or something like that. But will they go offensive coordinator with no head coaching experience? Sort of like like Richard Johnson at SI, you know, said like has the whole like you don't see black coaches hired back to back typically, right? You also don't see schools going coordinator no experience to coordinator no experience because it's hard to sell to the guys cutting the checks of like, hey, why did this guy fail? No head coaching experience. Well, we're not going to get another guy just like that. We need to reverse course and do something different. So, I don't know, like a stretch candidate if they could get Chadwell, but I don't think Chadwell would take the job. Uh, Maybe a Sean Lewis at Kent State. Like, they're not having a great year, but that's a really, really tough place to win. And they've had a couple of the best years Kent State's ever had. 
under them. So he would be exciting. I will say, if I'm a USF fan, I would be a lot more excited about any of those coordinators than I would be Tom Allen. <laughs> I agree. Oh, Tom Allen, he's a saying. good football coach. Yeah, hey, good now. Football. You, you, you can't win in Indiana. Like right. you can't win in Indiana. It, it's, it's and I do job. remember a lot of Florida talent on that roster when they were winning. You know, when he had that uh, year that he came. I agree with you though, Tom. I don't. I don't think that inspires yeah. like That's the great great welcoming by the boosters. And there's going to be some massive party. Um, it would probably get panned from those. Like, huh? That there'd be a lot of Google search going on uh, from the USF fan base. I totally agree with Bud said. I'd be really careful. Also, I think everyone needs to be careful of hiring away coordinators who are at programs with elite talent and elite quarterback play. You know, like, I mean, and I'm not even sure what input Jeff Scott was having on that offense at Clemson when he was there. It was kind of already flowing uh, when you had it there. So I think going with somebody with head coaching experience. Tom Herman was an interesting uh, suggestion because I think he'd be an absolute home run. And it's further removed from the former Texas head coach. Let's bring him in here like they did with Charlie Strong. You know, so they at least they've had somebody. Because that's, again, you kind of say, like, you don't go back to back. But at least if it was further in the rear view, you could say, all right, let's try it one more time. And he had a lot more success at Texas than Charlie Strong did. I know he's 65 years old. But can can we bring Jim Levitt back? They're not going to do that. I (laughs) I asked about that specifically this morning. Like, no, absolutely not. Uh, on, On the Jeff Scott thing, um, basically I was told is like he tried to, to instill Clemson's culture at USF and that's not a place where that's going to work. Okay. You need to be able to work with, uh, some edgier kids, some kids who may have a little bit of issues, some mm. kids who have kids, right? Like basically is what I was told. So, uh, yeah. You know what the funniest outcome would be here? I'm always here for the funniest. Scott Frost. Scott Frost. Scott Frost. At the USF. I don't think there's any way in the world it happens, but that would be hilarious. Like budget-wise, though, what school in in the New American is going to outspend them, really? So you think about this. East Carolina probably has a similar budget. Memphis has a big budget, but they're also they Memphis spends a lot of that budget on basketball. SMU is not going to the Big Twelve, right? No. So SMU will outspend you. Western Kentucky, do they get into the New American? No. No. no, UTSA did right, and UAB did right. Yes. So those schools will not outspend you and most Charlotte. likely, and Charlotte will definitely not outspend you, given what we're hearing about you know how that coaching search is going. So, uh, I mean, it's reasonable to expect USF to be a top four team in this league consistently with a good head coach, given the the spending they're going to do. I think. All right. Um, coming up on the other side. We've got a, a very interesting position where a team that has risen to number four in the polls finds itself as a notable underdog this weekend. We'll take a look at the Big 12 title race, some of those teams involved, including uh, Texas, TCU, and Baylor, plus some thoughts on Boise and Pole Assassin for the week that was. All that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, with the losses of Alabama, with the loss for Clemson, with uh, Tennessee taking a loss as well and falling off the pace in the SEC East, the TCU Horn Frogs are set for a move up. They moved up in the AP rankings, and they are likely to move up into the college football playoff rankings. But those same Horned Frogs, potentially one of the four or five best teams in the country, according to a lot of opinion polls and maybe even the committee, they find themselves as a touchdown underdog against the Texas Longhorns. So, as we continue with the pun further review, based on what we saw from a win against Texas Tech that included Quentin Johnston getting knocked out of the game, Max Duggan being able to rally the offense back with three fourth-quarter touchdowns that made the final result look a little bit nicer maybe than the game felt as it was playing out. Are the Horned Frogs in trouble at Texas? Do we think that this is the first of two TCU-Texas games? What do we make of that big-time clash in Austin coming up this Saturday night? I think TCU is in trouble. Mm. They're just, it's one of those teams where they flirt with disaster too much. And I get, and I love, I got, I think they should be ranked higher for what they've done. I think they've got an incredible resume that's up there with anybody in the country. But it just feels like these games that are one possession games are going to catch up with them. And I think the loss of uh, Quentin Johnson is going to be significant. But more importantly, Texas. Now I'll say this: If Texas doesn't stop giving Bijan Robinson the football, then it doesn't like, if, stop. If, <laughs> right. if, if Texas <laughs> does, continue. yes, yeah. Then like then if, if then TCU's got a chance. But if they don't, if Sark, you know, quits trying to mess around with his great offensive mind, which is a great offensive mind, and just says, "Here you go, Bijan," I think Texas wins handily. But they haven't. Do we think Johnson's not going to play? Up in the air, right? Questionable. Because mm-hmm. there's a part of me, honestly, that wonders. He hurt his ankle early in that game. Maybe it was like they, he probably could have played through it. Or may, this is, again, speculation on my part. Maybe it was an injury he could have played through, but they thought they wouldn't need him to get through the game. And they held him out with this game in mind. I, I could see it. I, I think this is a really interesting matchup, though, in terms of, of, of strength v. weakness. So TCU's pass D is a good bit better than its run D. Texas is Texas the best run team that TCU has faced given that Kansas State didn't have the quarterbacks when they played them? I mean, I think the one-two combination of Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson is one of the best one-two yeah. combos in the conference. So yeah, but, uh, like the fact that you've got a, a very effective ground game all around, I, I think that's probably a, a fair comment, even if Kansas State had Adrian Martinez in that game. I am a little bit skeptical of Texas pass defense. If if TCU goes into Austin and wins this game, and power ratings wise, I, I agree they should be, be an underdog here. I do think Texas 
is probably you know field goal better on a neutral, and, and you add three that gets you to six. Maybe seven's a little rich, but who knows? Maybe, maybe they blow them out. Uh, think about the past D's that or past offenses that Texas has faced so far this year. Bama, which looks a little bit worse every week throwing the football. Uh, Texas Tech, and that was with Donovan Smith, right? Not Tyler Show or uh, or Brent, Brent Morton. And Smith is the guy who's not a good thrower for them. West Virginia, who honestly, like their past game's okay. Oklahoma without Dylan Gabriel. Iowa State cannot throw the ball effectively. Oklahoma State, uh, that was with Rattler, or not Rattler, excuse me, uh, with with Sanders, and they threw the ball somewhat okay on them in a pretty windy day. And then this weekend, Kansas State, and Martinez can't throw the football at all. So there is some chance that if Johnston comes back, TCU is probably the best passing offense that, that this team has faced. And Texas has injuries in the secondary. Uh, what's his name? Broke his arm in that that Oklahoma State game. You know, I, I could see TCU throwing the football here well enough to win, but the Texas rushing attack plus Sark's play calling, uh, I don't think it's wrong to think that TCU is a justifiable underdog. And this is kind of why, by the way, you see them as very low playoff odds because they're going to be a dog to Texas. They're going to be an underdog at Baylor by the way. So they're going to be dogs in two of their final three games. I don't think they'll be underdogs to Baylor. Um, I mean, you think they're better than... I think they're better than Baylor. You think they're four points better than Baylor on a neutral in these power ratings? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Baylor's... I, I was going to get to it later when we get to upon for the review, but I don't think Baylor's very good. Um, as far as this game, I mean, it's funny because we talk about TCU's defense all season long about how it's the one thing that's keeping... You know, it, it does It keeps it from being able to blow teams out. But, like, if you look at success rate, it's been better this year than Texas. The difference is Texas has been much better in the red zone. So I think that when you look at this matchup, that's going to be what it is. If TCU, like, they need Quentin Johnston because if he's healthy or if he's not playing, it's going to be much more difficult for them to score if they're in the red zone and not getting big explosive plays through the air without him because that's where Texas kind of locks things down. They give up yards to let you move the ball, and then they play the red zone roulette, and they're very good at it, holding you to field goals or forcing turnovers. But... Overall, defensively, they're not that much better than the Horned Frogs. So honestly, when I'm looking at this and I'm seeing a touchdown, if Johnson is playing, I'm taking TCU. I don't. It's weird to me. Like I understand power rating wise why Texas is favored by a touchdown in this game, but just watching these two teams play, I don't trust Texas as much as I trust TCU right now. I agree. I, I think it's also difficult to figure out. So, if you're making a power rating, you are bumping Texas a little bit for having Ewers back in. And then there's pretty good word that Ewers was hurt with his finger or hand got, got slammed in a door or something like that uh, at Oklahoma State. Now, I think the wind might have affected him some, but some of those passes were so bad against Okie State that I kind of wonder if if those if that kind of whispers, if those are true. No wind at field level in T. Boone Pickens Stadium. So you think it was just all, all injury causing him? Like, like, I mean, he was missing guys by like 10 yards in some cases. Right. So, And he warmed up with a glove on, which he normally doesn't do. So I do think like that's a way to – because, Tom, I agree. Like, If you just look at just their performances this year, I think this number is inflated. But I think that's how they're getting to it, right? Also, the Johnston injury is big. Like, like that's, a, that's an NFL player they have, you know, top 10 on Feldman's freaks list and stuff. Uh, if they don't have him, this offense is not as scary. 
All right, Tom, you mentioned it right there. You wanted to turn a spotlight on Baylor. The Bears are at home against Kansas State. They are favored by three points against Kansas State. I mean, this is an absolutely massive week for that Big 12 title race because, yes, TCU is the only team that is undefeated in conference play and everybody else has two losses, but there's a lot of teams that all have two losses in this conference and Baylor is one of those teams. So while Baylor has had uh, a few disappointing setbacks after that thriller against Oklahoma, they still find themselves and I I need to run the exact math on this, but they still find themselves in a three-way tie for second place with Texas and Kansas State. If the Bears get this win against Kansas State, then we're looking at TCU, Texas, and Baylor uh, all there in the Big 12 title race. What would you make of the Bears from their win against the Sooners? Bears won't be playing in the Big 12 championship. Okay. I mean, it's I watched I rewatched the game against Oklahoma because I had eyes on it on Saturday, but I wasn't really paying the super close attention. It's just that defense isn't that good. Like last year's team had a very good defense. And when I see Baylor this year, defensively, I'm not nearly as impressed by it as I am. And obviously they played Oklahoma on Saturday. So maybe, you know, that plays a role. But if you go through their games this year, when they've played explosive offenses, they have not stopped them. Like BYU beat them. Oklahoma State put up 36 on them. West Virginia put up 43 points on them. Kansas with its backup quarterback put up 23, but you know, not great, but they were moving the ball in that game. Last week, they blow out Texas Tech on the road 45-17, to but Texas Tech turns the ball over five times. I don't think Kansas State, TCU, and Texas are going to be turning the ball over five times. In this game against Oklahoma, they had very little defensive resistance, and if you look at their overall defensive numbers compared to the rest of the Big 12, they're in the bottom half in most of these numbers in the conference behind TCU. I don't I don't think they're that good, honestly. I think that they've beaten some some of the Big 12's worst teams, and it's inflating their record. They're four and two, but with the three games they have left on the schedule, those are the three toughest games they'll have played all season, and I think there's a very real shot they're going to lose all three. They also uh, they got very fortunate to be game scripted, a favorable game script early on against Kansas, with, mm-hmm. with the like Kansas fumbling the kickoff and then and throwing the pick immediately. Here's the thing, though. Do you trust Adrian Martinez to be able to read Dave Aranda's defense? Because I don't think Adrian Martinez reads defense very well, and he's a bad thrower of the football. I don't and, know if they ask him to either, though. <laughs> they just want yeah, to but, try to run through it. But I, I kind of think that Baylor can stop the run a little better than they can yeah, the pass. They can. No, they are. They are much better against the run than they are against the pass. But I just... They, they're not a team to me that when I watch them play strikes me as one like compared to what I see the rest of the Big 12 again I'm not trying to say it's a bad team so don't get me wrong there but they are not as good as the other teams I look at in the Big 12 as title contenders for the conference I think Kansas State's not I think it's better balanced offensively and defensively I think that they can win the game if Adrian Martinez takes care of the football and of course that is the wild card because we never really know if Adrian Martinez is going to take care of the football but defensively let's look at it this way Iowa State is one of the worst offenses <laughs> ever. It scored in the 40s against Southeast Missouri State in Ohio. But other than that, it's only scored in the 20s twice. It scored, or three times. It scored 31 against West Virginia, a terrible defense. It scored 21 against Texas on the road, and it scored 24 against Baylor. If Iowa State's putting up 24 points on you, they can't throw the ball either. That makes me concerns about your defense. I'm glad you brought this up, by the way, because I, I remember back in September, I kind of thought that Baylor was BS because they got those ridiculous penalties 
uh, in their favor against Iowa. Remember when when mm-hmm. Matt Campbell kind of uncharacteristically just lost his mind, and he was yeah. justified in doing so. Like those early penalties swung that game in Baylor's favor. I, this is weird, man. I'm like repeatedly here. I'm saying, huh? This was really a thing in Baylor's favor uh, early in a game that kind of tipped the game script in their favor. Now they would have beaten West Virginia. I'm confident if Shapin doesn't get knocked out because Shapin yeah. was throwing for like 13 yards per attempt and the drones kid behind him is not very good. Not yet, at least. It so was, It was still a shootout even before Shapin got hurt. This is true. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Tom, that's a, that's a really good point, man. I'm curious to see how that works. So as you handicap it, who do you think is playing for the Big 12 title on the first Saturday in December in Dallas? TCU in Texas. Yeah, I, I think those are the two most likely probably by far. Yeah, after TCU, Texas has Kansas and Baylor. They should be heavily favored in both of those. So you feel like Texas is going to hold serve. They will not be heavily favored at Baylor unless Baylor gets gets crushed this weekend. I mean, really? like they're they, if they're favored, it's it's like a four point favorite. I will say that if Texas loses this weekend, Kansas State's got a decent shot because Kansas State's losses are to TCU and Texas, but Texas will have three losses if Kansas State. Yeah, okay, so it. I think it'll be Texas TCU, but if TCU wins and Kansas State beats Baylor this weekend, like I kind of think it can, then it's going to be Kansas State. TCU is not a lock yet, but the, but it, the next time TCU wins a game, it's in. It's because a lock. It, like yeah, because then they'll have then they'll have guaranteed two or fewer Big Twelve losses, and they will have enough tiebreakers over everybody else to get in. We all think uh, TCU is a lock for the playoff if they're undefeated, right? Oh yes, yes sure. What if they lose close to Texas and then beat them again? And then they're not in the SEC, so if you lose, you you can't be in the playoff. <laughs> yeah, it, that is a really interesting conversation. I think you would weigh it. And without Johnson, let's say he doesn't play, and then he plays in the Big Twelve Championship game, then I think they have a chance. Yeah, if they avenge their loss. Yeah, but that's just it's how it is. Like it's anybody that's not supposed to be a playoff team, as soon as they lose, get them out. TCU, one loss Big 12 champ. Clemson, one loss ACC champ. And Tennessee at 11 and one is the, the real, the, the real losers bad. Like who, who wants to get smashed by Georgia? Well, it does depend. Like Tennessee needs to keep winning big, which I think it will. They're, they're three touchdown favorites this weekend. They also need LSU to not lose until it gets to the SEC title game. Right? Like, LSU is only a three-point favorite this weekend at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I think that's short, but there's no, like they're not guaranteed to win out. They're probably only like 50-50 to win out because they also have to go to A&M. Right. But, but like, come on, let's let's be three-point favorites. Sam Pittman coming off lost to Liberty with a chance to ruin LSU season who's coming off a big overtime win against Alabama. Nobody is riper for an upset this weekend than LSU. That boot is sweet. It's one of my favorite rivalry trophies. Razorbacks yeah. are going to be bringing the heat, try to make sure that they can take down the uh, the newly minted uh, SEC West leaders. Um, all right, anything else you want to turn spotlight on before we get to pull this ass and get out of here? Tennessee no longer has a 100% success rate in goal-to-go situations. Fire the OC. <laughs> um, Bo Nix for Heisman is not as crazy as it. No. Uh, 
No, it's not. I mean, I don't think he's going to win, but I have considered taking a Bo Nix Heisman future. It's just I worry about what it'll do for my brand. Remember that the Heisman votes are split up by region. There mm-hmm. are regional votes that have been dispersed. There are a few national votes. And I think in the West, you've got Caleb Williams, you've got Bo Nix, and you've got Dorian Thompson Robinson. And they might all like beat up on each other, but the West Coast votes that want to throw their support behind somebody that is not coming from the Big Ten or the SEC, they, they've got an option if Bo Nix is able to continue winning and the Ducks are able to win the Pac-12. And Bo Nix is still going to have some S- Southeast loyalty from voters there. Because is that he, why he's getting pumped? Because I, I honestly, I, I there was I a cut so. in at one game, and it was uh, Matt Barry with ESPN. They cut into Heisman hopeful Bo Nix putting up another stat, and as a firm backer of Drake May for Heisman, I was irritated. I'm like, why Barry. isn't he getting as much love? Because it was a blow. It wasn't like it was even a consequential game. It was Colorado, and we're putting up, uh, you know, Nix for Heisman, and I do see him. He's starting to crop up way ahead of where Drake May is in any of these boards. And I also think Caleb Williams, by the way, what he's doing, and again, another guy's playing late, and their game didn't even get started on the national stage until Bam LSU went final. So, like, you missed the first quarter and a half of USC's game. I I think it's Caleb Williams and Drake May are kind of in their own stratosphere, but we know that's not how it works. The Heisman's yeah. wide open right now. Yeah. I, uh, I disagree. You think it's I, just Stroud? I think it's Stroud versus the field. If, if they went out, it's well. Stroud is it's easily Stroud if they go undefeated. He's not playing well though. Yeah. Doesn't matter. His numbers don't say that. It matters. I'm a voter. I'm telling you right now, it matters. He's not, not enough. You're not, not enough people pay attention like you, Tom. <laughs> Tom, you're in the upper one percent of all voters, man. But you watch all these games. They don't. Little passing yards compared to the rest of the country. He's had a 73-yard passing game against Notre Dame. He only threw for like 200 yards. He doesn't have the numbers, and I don't know if he's going to have them with Michigan in that looming on the schedule. He needs to have huge games. He's got the touchdowns. If Ohio State, I mean, if Ohio State continues to just sort of like stumble down to the finish line, even if they stack wins, his numbers are going to get worse. He's not going to have the kind of lead that he had uh, at the beginning of the season when they put 73 on the board. He's currently 23rd nationally in yards per game passing. He's behind Bo Nix. You know who's got a chance to steal it from everybody? Stetson Bennett. Maybe. Blake Corum. Because Blake Corum, if he goes into the shoe and puts up a big game, and now from what we've seen from Ohio State, like are they that unbeatable? And if they can't, if they struggle to move the ball against Michigan and Michigan wins that game – I think I I thought JJ McCarthy was going to open this thing up. This is a Blake Corum, old school Jim Harbaugh, run the football, play action pass offense. I think Blake Corum could steal it from everybody. Also, and so you know who's about to match, catch CJ Stroud in passing touchdowns? Caleb Williams. Yeah, Williams is playing super well. Mm-hmm. Most of the high voters are not going to know that. Know because that. Because look, all these weapons, all these weapons are, are out right now. Addison didn't play. Williams or uh, you know Mario Williams, their other receiver didn't play like he's playing exceptionally well uh but look it, i hate it i don't think he's playing like the best player in the country i don't really think he should win it if ohio state goes undefeated cj stroud is winning the heisman guys period like there's not enough voters that watch these games like tom cj stroud is throwing 29 touchdowns this season okay and 20 of, them, 20 of them have come in four games against arkansas state toledo wisconsin and michigan state Voters aren't going to care. Not enough of them. Iowa, Penn State, and Northwestern, he's thrown nine touchdowns. 
I think it all comes Will down Anderson to the Ohio last State. year. Yeah. You had a couple prominent college ball media people talking about how Will Anderson was the best player and should, and win. should win. And I think it was very instructive that Will Anderson did not even get to go to New York but because most of the people man. that vote for Heisman don't pay attention on this level. They just but don't. A it's a voting award. He's a defensive end. He's never had a shot to win to begin with. These are quarterbacks, and C.J. Stroud's numbers are going to be compared to other quarterbacks on playoff teams. And he's not going to have the numbers if he keeps playing the way he's been playing. The last two weeks, he's thrown for one touchdown. I think it comes down to the Michigan game. And it's probably yeah. going to be a one. Like, as long as he's, he's, he's positioning himself. Against Michigan, I'm telling I'm, you. I'm just talking about just, just get the W, and he wins it. I think he's got to have a good game. Like, mm-hmm. at least two touchdown passes. 250 plus if he does that which isn't a fantastic game by their standards by his own standards i think i think he wins but i think it's going to come down to one game which is kind of stupid because that's not what the award is supposed to be about although a lot of times it does come down to the recency bias of what did we see in conference championship weekend and the last rivalry weekend uh poll assassin for the the week that was any ballot stand out as we uh we take a look at I know that we had one listener submitted ballot for for Pole Assassin. They were uh, they were fascinated. Let's see, we've got Tennessee behind Alabama from Mike, Bir- our friend Mike Berardino. Yeah, Mike Berardino's doing the same thing. He's got LSU and Tennessee both behind Alabama. Which honestly, I know, I understand the reaction of having LSU behind Tennessee, Alabama because they just lost, but it was a one point loss in overtime. And I think if you look at the entire season. It's a very good argument to still keeping Alabama ahead of LSU under ballot. Anything else stand out? Oh, where's one? I cannot remember. I'm sorry. Um, Georgia was near unanimous as the uh, as the new number one team in the entire country. It's one uh, vote for Ohio State. Ohio State had zero in the coaches poll, by the way. 13 first place votes from the coaches last week. Lost them all. Two of them went to Michigan. Two went to Michigan? Yep. That's kind of silly. Like, that's just coaches not wanting to vote for Georgia. Uh, Michigan struggled with Rutgers for about 40 minutes. Uh, final score, 45-17. Yeah. That's, that's what Michigan has done. They did it against Indiana. Score? They did it uh, against Rutgers. They, they play around for a little bit, and then all of a sudden their defense squeezes the life out of you, and Blake Corum runs crazy. It's, a, it's how they play football. I wanted to give a special shout out to our guy, Don Williams. He did it. What he did he do? He ranked a group of five team at number twenty-five on Don's ballot this weekend. Liberty is Tulane. Oh my gosh! It took and this long for Tulane to get in there. You know what this proves to me? Something what? we talked about. The college football playoff rankings influence the voters. Tulane was the highest group of five. So when somebody needed a team to put it 25, I'll just put the one group of five team that's rated highest in the CF. No, I'm just kidding. Tulane deserves to be ranked, and I'm happy Don gave them some credit by putting them on his ballot because he does not put group of five teams on his ballot. We got uh, Tulane and UCF coming up this weekend in New Orleans. Awesome Awesome game for the American Athletic Conference. The Green Wave also have SMU at home and finish at Cincinnati. Tulane with SEC championship trophies in the trophy case, making a run at a New Year's Six Bowl, one of my favorite storylines of the final three weeks of the season. We will be back on Tuesday night, round 720-ish. 
uh, with instant reaction to the new college football playoff rankings. And also, on Wednesday, we're going to open up that big old bag of mail. We want questions from you. So go and leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. We're going to start reaching out to you, uh, trying to answer your questions, engage in the conversation as we come down this home stretch. We got coaching searches. We got playoff rankings. Lots to get into that we will pick some of the best ones, some of our favorites, and throw them into Wednesday's show. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah.